want Bearcats. I, I love the Bearcats. I like Luke Fickle. He brings the table. I like Bearcats. Lock in mid post. Great spin move. Reverse layup. Oh, oh. And it's good for Victor Lockett. What a move. Looked like Bill Walton out there. On back to throw. Looking. Scrambling. Passes. Intercepted at the goal line. The Bearcats have the football. Sauce Gardner picking off the pass as Cincinnati denies Notre Dame in the red zone. Diving on the floor to grab it is Oguama. Bounces it for Lockett. Fires ahead to Adams Woods. To Julius for three. Good! Cincinnati has scored 17 straight. Double tight ends in for Cincinnati. Ritter will hand it off. Jerome Ford bouncing it to the left. There he goes. To the 30. Pulling away like Secretariat at the Belmont. Touchdown. Bearcats as Jerome Ford takes it to the house to give Cincinnati a three-score lead. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Go Bearcats podcast. As always, I am your host, Brandon. And I think I got a good show lined up here for you today. In a moment, we will be joined by Justin Williams of The Athletic to give us his reaction and some thoughts on the Memphis game that we just witnessed this past weekend, uh, and even some, some thoughts overall on the Bearcats program, the progress that they're making. Uh, of course, I had to ask him about spring football that's starting up as well. We'll get in, into all of that uh, just momentarily. Before that, though, you know, it's time for a beer. This one today, the newly formulated, newly released garage beer. I don't, I'm not going to say that it's from Braxton, previously from Braxton. Uh, it is sort of branded out on its own now in what I'm calling a domestic craft beer. They're aiming for a domestic beer, price point, taste, throw them down drinking quantity type of thing, but it's made by a craft brewery. I think, I don't know, maybe they just invented a new, uh, a new category of beers and didn't mean to, or maybe they did. I don't know. This one's 4%, 95 calories in the 16 ounce can price point. Wasn't bad either. Uh, six of them in the, in, in pints, uh, just $9 and some change. I'll be sipping on this throughout the interview. It is crisp, light, maybe a little bready even. Easy to uh, to throw a lot of those back in a session while you're outside, maybe messing around in the garage, doing getting some work done. Hence the name, I guess. Not bad. I can't really speak on what garage beer used to take, taste like. Wasn't a, a mainstay in my beer fridge. I've had it plenty of times, sure, but as far as comparing them side by side, I can't really get into that. Before we bring on Justin Williams, we have to talk about the announcement that came out yesterday at halftime of the Bearcats game. The Catskeller Social Club is live. If you did not see this on Twitter or on social media, this is sort of a, a new way of bringing you content from the guys at Cincy Slangin, uh, Bearcats podcast, the guys from Viva La Cats, and of course myself. We've sort of merged our talents, our visions, our fan experience into, into one place for you to find it, uh, and that is Catskeller Social Club. Uh, the website will be launching this week. Follow along on Twitter, Catskeller, I'm sorry, it's at Catskeller SC. 
and join the Discord. There is a lot of conversation happening on Discord. Uh, before we sort of got this project started, I had no idea what Discord was, uh, but it's something that I find myself using more and more and more every day as Bearcats fans are linking up on there, talking about a, a plethora of topics. Uh, of course, basketball, football. We talk Bearcats golf, which we'll talk more about at the end of the episode. Uh, any any sort of Bearcats topic, any sort of pop culture topic you can find in that Discord, I highly encourage you to join. Give Cats Keller Social Club a follow uh, and look for the website launching soon. What's going to be a little bit different about this, uh, at least as far as I can see, is that you know it's, it's a collaborative effort to bring you uh, more content, more coverage of the Bearcats uh, from you know, different points of views, different experiences, uh, all, I believe we're all UC alums, uh, and we are, uh, we've all been diehard Bearcats fans for, for quite some time now. Uh, the coolest thing that I think is, is we're also, you know, going to be big on community. If you find, uh, the creative juices flowing and you want to come onto a, the pot, one of the podcasts, especially mine, I don't have a co-host, or if you want to write an article, uh, to get your opinion or, you know, take a deep dive into something uh, Bearcats related, you know, that will be open up as well. So uh, be sure to check out the website when it launches this week. And uh, until then, follow Cats Keller Social Club on Twitter. With that being said, let's bring on Justin Williams. Let's talk basketball first. Here we go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, my guest today, the supremely talented Justin Williams. You can find him at Williams underscore Justin on Twitter, and theathletic.com is where you can find all of his work. A now two-time guest on the podcast, Justin, welcome back. Thanks. I appreciate you having me, Brandon. Absolutely. It's been a minute since we talked to you. I think the last time you were on the show, you were coming to us live from Dallas uh, in preparation for the, uh, the college football playoff. And uh, I don't know. We waited too long to have you on, so it's, it's good to have you back. <laughs> it feel, that's much different times. Feels like a, a lifetime ago. It does, kind of. There's been uh, there's only been like one or two things that's happened since then, really. So uh, I, I think we can we can touch on all of those a little bit. Uh, we, we are here though uh, to talk more about the Bearcats basketball season as, as it is. I, I kind of want to get some of your your thoughts and. Uh, on the the most recent streak of, of Bearcats basketball games, uh, Temple and Memphis, of course, that we just uh, most recently watched, but also kind of get your your thoughts or your advice for Bearcats fans as we try to evaluate the season as well. Sure. All right. Well, so we Bearcats lose uh, a crazy game. It was a crazy weekend in basketball. Altogether, if you look at uh, some of the wild comebacks that that happened all weekend long, the Bearcats could not quite pull it off. Uh, in in my opinion, Justin, the Bearcats really had no business being that close at the end of that game. Uh, watching that game in the first half, that was the first time I got to see the two teams play. I coached basketball, and I had a, a game when they were here in Cincinnati, so I didn't get to see any of that one. So this one, it was kind of interesting to see to see and I thought that Memphis looked ready for UC in every way imaginable uh whether it was their their game plan that they came out with scouting our players and of course they're very familiar with Landers Nolly uh and even countering some of their weaknesses quote unquote that, the, that people thought they had 
with some positive play from their bigs. Uh, I mean, would would you uh, agree with with what I saw in the, in the first half of that game, or or what was what's what's the feeling as you were there in a FedEx Forum covering the game? Yeah, I mean, I give a lot of credit to Memphis, and you know, one of the things it's kind of been a, a wild ride for them under Penny Hardaway, but one of the things that the the Memphis teams have always done for him is play defense. Um, and you know, I, I think that's a, a credit to kind of the way he coaches the players he's brought in and yeah, you know, I, I, I tweeted this during the game yesterday, like their game plan, it was not easy, but it was very simple. They just wanted to guard Cincinnati about as hard as they possibly could. And that really bothered the Bearcats. And, and honestly, if, if you kind of look at the teams that play similar to that, are who have given them trouble temple you know isn't a great team but temple plays hard as shit and, and they guard really well and that's you know cincinnati struggled with them the past couple of years and then obviously houston does it at an elite level uh so i don't know if it's fair to you know everyone tends to struggle against houston so it's not don't don't need to single the bearcats out there um but yeah i thought memphis did that you know to an elite degree really all game um I, you know Cincinnati handled it a little bit better in the second half or at least able to kind of weather that storm a little bit in the second half uh, so I give Memphis credit and then the other thing you have to look at is like Memphis is fighting for an NCAA tournament spot and so you know you could kind of feel that too they're in their home arena um I don't know how much people care about like oh it's Cincinnati's last you know trip in the AAC to Memphis but if anyone's going to care it's probably gonna be Memphis fans in Memphis um and so, yeah, you know, uh, you mentioned kind of Landers Nolly. I thought the way they guarded him um, and, and kind of rattled him a little bit early felt like a team very familiar with him. Um, and, and he was able to rebound a little bit in the second half. But I, I give Memphis a lot of credit for the way they came out. And unfortunately for Cincinnati, you know, I think we've, we've seen this team kind of battle through some adversity and, and make improvements. And yesterday that was just, uh, you know, a, a talented, long athletic team that came out and guarded them hard. And Cincinnati did not respond well at all, particularly in the first half. In that first half, especially, I thought with like not to – harp on on nolly too much here but i thought that he was i mean he's i think uh coach miller has uh talked about he's you know an emotional guy and sort of uh lets those emotions uh either sometimes power his game and and maybe in the first half of memphis hinder it a little bit it seemed like he was playing with an exceptionally high level of of emotions as literally every time he touched the ball the memphis fans booed him you know i, I tweeted that out like because we were, uh, you know, Bearcats fans on social media was like, you know, what kind of reception is he going to get back first time playing uh, at Memphis? And I would not call it a, a warm welcoming in any sense of the passion. No, I wouldn't either. Um, I was talking to somebody there and, you know, they said, don't overthink it. He used to play for Memphis. Now he doesn't. And so you boo him. And, you know, I don't, I don't think there's a ton of bad blood. I know there's a lot of people before and after the game who were, you know, excited to see him and, and waving at him and things like that. But yeah, in a, you know, larger general sense, the guy who used to play for you is playing for another team. You boo him when he catches the ball. I, you, you mentioned like the emotion. I do feel like early he was aware of that and he was maybe trying to kind of like temper down his emotions and I think it just lended to him playing a little bit sloppy like it, it seemed like he wasn't his head wasn't totally in the game and you know almost like he was trying to do that because he knew how 
emotional and how kind of maybe awkward the situation was. And so I think when he started to play better in the second half, you know, it's when he started talking a little bit more trash and, you know, he started kind of being that more abrasive, fiery player that, that Bearcats fans have seen this year. And so I'm sure if he could go back and do it over again, you know, maybe he, he wouldn't give into that, but I totally understand why he went into maybe early in the game thinking, I'm going to let the game come to me. I'm not going to be emotional about it. And it might've actually worked against him. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I don't have an answer to this question because my wife asked me during the game and I was I just said, I I have no idea. Her her question was, how do the Bearcats come back in this game? Yeah, I mean, stopping the turnovers wasn't the answer because they had 11 in the first half and then nine in the second half. Uh, Part of it was they started making threes. They didn't make many in the first half. You know, I think they made, you know three in the first half and then I don't know what they ended up but they made at least seven in the second half um so that always helps uh and yeah you know part of the the way that Memphis plays this happens a lot because they play hard defense they they want to get out and run and that allows them to score fast and kind of go on some runs but it also opens them up to have runs against them because if you know some they miss a couple layups and miss a couple jumpers in transition well then it's just as easy for the other team to kind of come back and go and so I think in the second half you saw Cincinnati maybe again it's not like they were limiting the turnovers but they were responding a little bit better to them when they did uh and and I thought you kind of maybe saw them counter with some some runs uh it felt like all game you know they could cut it back to eight or so uh, and then Memphis would again push it up to double digits, and, and that really happened until the last couple minutes, um, when Cincinnati was able to, to chip away, get a couple steals, um, and get a couple buckets that cut it even closer. You know, the final score is three points, but you had that wild Vic three that that banks in at the end, makes it you know probably a little closer than it should have been. Um, you know, Cincinnati again they couldn't get it under eight for much of the game. In the end, it probably is like a four to six point game that that ends up with a a three-point difference so they certainly did good job of coming back but it was just one of those situations where you can't play that poorly and be that careless with the ball all game uh and even if you kind of fight there at the end it's going to be tough to overcome that you kind of hit on two different things i want to talk about well it's the last thing you, you brought up was was turnovers so let's let's start there uh you know one of my takeaways from this game was that you know Memphis applied a lot of pressure. We saw Temple and UCF do that at times later in the games recently. Uh, it seems like teams should have been maybe applying pressure earlier to the Bearcats in the season. Um, you know, the Cats had twenty turnovers, like we said. You know, is this at this point is this a major weakness of the team? No, I don't think so. I mean, honestly, turnovers are a strength of this team. You know, this is not a team that turns the ball over. I think they average going into yesterday, they average less than 11 a game, like 10.6. And what in the Temple game, it's an overtime game where both teams had under 10 turnovers. Like that's kind of remarkable. So that I think that's actually something this team has done really well on on both sides of the ball that they create. They do a pretty good job creating steals, but they do a great job taking care of the ball. I think the problem yesterday was, you know, yeah, you, you see Memphis play like that, and you think, well, now all teams are going to come out and jump them. Well, all teams don't have the length and athleticism and play the type of defense that Memphis has. So, Very true. You know, sure, teams can come out and try it. Even a team like Temple, who, who has played them tough and guarded them well, you know, it, it didn't bother Cincinnati nearly as much as, as Memphis did or, or, you know, as Houston does. So I would say, you know, 
other teams want to try it, sure, but you're probably not going to have quite the level of success. I think it was just a situation where when they came out and they were doing that, and it was very clear early, like Cincinnati was struggling and turning the ball over, they didn't have that timeout where they kind of flipped a switch and said, all right, let's let's lock in, you know, let's be more careful with the ball, let's respond to the way they're playing. Again, they did that a little bit better in the second half, but even then they still struggled with it. So to me, it was just a case of Memphis was probably – you know, they needed this game a lot more than Cincinnati. They were probably a little bit more up for it. And it just took, for whatever reason, it took Cincinnati a little bit too long to respond to the way they were playing them. You know, the other name that I want to bring up is uh, Vic Locken. Uh, you, you know, he's been out a couple of games with the, the ankle injury. Uh, he came back for the Temple game, struggled, I, I would I would say, 10 points, fouled out in 19 minutes. Uh, didn't have his best performance at Memphis yesterday. I think he finished with something like 9-6. and six. And as you uh, hinted at there, one of the, three of those points was a desperation three is, you know, 0.7 left on the clock. So you take that out, it's six and six. Uh, is this still working him back into sort of the, the flow of things? Uh, I think a lot of fans might have expected him to come out with a little stronger of, a, of an outing against Memphis after getting his feet wet against Temple. Yeah, yeah. I it, honestly, at one point during the game yesterday, I, I thought he looked a little bit gassed. Like he kind of came out and you know was laboring a little bit. And to me, that's just a product of he missed some time, you know, with the ankle injury. He the story I wrote on him earlier this year. He talked a lot about how important his health and honestly, like in season conditioning, had been to the way he's playing. And when you have an ankle injury and you got to stay off it, you know, it's it's not even like you can, you know, do much on the sideline. You kind of just got to stay off the ankle and let it heal. And I think he's still physically working his way back from that. And he probably didn't get as much of a chance to do that against Temple because he was in foul trouble. Um, you know, he would have played a lot more in that game had he not been been saddled with some foul trouble which again I think was probably a product of the rust and him kind of coming back in and getting used to it so certainly like in a big picture you know end of the season uh, I don't have too much concerns about Vic they have a nice little break here where they get a week off before SMU and then they get another break before the conference tournament so I would fully expect him to you know be back in game shape the next time we see him on the floor Sunday the, the biggest thing though that kind of stood out was all right Vic didn't play very well we saw how much the team struggled you know, when he was out with the ankle injury, when that was the case. But even in, in crunch time, you know, they went with Odie Oguama over Vic late in the game, you know, where normally they put JD at the four, uh, Vic at the five, and they trade uh, JD and Odie offense, defense. Well, last yesterday it was, you know, Odie at the five and, and JD and Vic going in and out for offense, defense. And I think part of that was just Odie was having a really good game um, and Vic was maybe still, like you said, kind of trying to get his feet under him and get back into it. Uh, but that's not really an option you know, that they would have had a few weeks ago. But I think it, it says a lot about the way Odie has, uh, has really progressed the past month. So and yeah, I didn't, I took it less as like concerning for, for Vic. I think he'll get back to where he was pre-injury uh, here pretty quick, but I, I was, you know, part of me was definitely encouraged by Odie Oguam and, and the way he's progressed recently. Uh, that's I mean can you talk a little bit more uh, about Odie that was actually the the next point I wanted to bring up you had tweeted out uh, an interesting quote that coach Miller had on the growth of Odie recently Um, can you just talk a little bit more about uh, you know what he's been able or you know what he's been able to showcase since Vic has has gone out and then now as you said the uh, the confidence that he that he Miller has in him 
Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing for the whole season is he's really improved his his defense, and that's just his understanding, his positioning. He's always, you know, I thought last year was a really good rebounder, but it was almost like that was happening uh, in spite of maybe missing some assignments and just being a little bit lost on defense. And, and Coach Miller talked about that after the game, that when they had their end-of-the-year meeting, he basically said the reason you didn't play as much as you probably wanted to this year is because you weren't very good defensively, or we weren't a good defensive team when you were on the floor. So he's definitely improved in terms of his communication, uh, in terms of his defensive awareness, and that's allowed some of his natural athleticism and, and instincts with rebounding and, and shot blocking uh, you know, to maybe even ha- enhance a little bit. So you give him credit there. Well, then, you know, look, he's never going to be like, you know, the type of offensive player that Vic is. It's not necessarily a natural skill for him. But what he's always been pretty good at is, you know, going up, getting some put back dunks, you know, maybe getting uh, a couple good looks off of a pick and roll or a lob or something like that. Well, for whatever reason, like December and mostly in January, he had that weird stretch where like he had the yips. He was, you know, pump faking repeatedly, even though he, you know. He's six eight and can jump out of the gym, just catch the ball and go up. And you know, everyone was kind of like, well, "What the heck's going on?" And I think it just got in his head a little bit. And again, there's another thing. Like to his credit, you know, what he's shooting like eighty something percent from the field the past month. Or you know, he's had a couple games where he hasn't missed a field goal. It's it's pretty remarkable. Um, and so yeah, that's you know, this is a guy who was kind of a late bloomer in terms of you know playing in high school. And uh, you know, I remember Wes Miller talking about that they thought they had a chance at him coming out of high school for a little bit before he kind of blew up um but i still think he's he's a guy who's learning the game a little bit um and we've seen over the past month where he's starting to kind of put some of his athletic abilities together with better understanding of the game better positioning better understanding of the system uh and he's had some really big moments for him and i know he's a fourth year senior but i have to think this is a guy that they're going to really want to get back for that that bonus season of, of eligibility next year with the way he's developed here of late I'm not going to lie. I, I cannot keep track of any of the eligibility years anymore. <laughs> um, you know, as you were saying that, you know, something that I've said for a while now, the season is, you know, or well, at least since this second coming of Odie, if you will, that, you know, his, like he seems like a, a high energy guy. He, you can see that on, on the floor. Uh, pairing him with another high energy guy and John Newman, you know, I, I would like to see this version of Odie on the floor with him. So if he has an, another season of eligibility left, I, I, I personally would love to see him back, but I've, I'm also the uh, self-proclaimed fan of the Odeo Guama fan club. So uh, we'll, I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. I, I think you're right. The other thing that I do think helps him, both him and Vic is, I don't know that at least right at this point in their careers, I don't think Odie or Vicker, either of those guys are like 30 minute a game players or 35 minute a game players. Um, and, and so having, you know, if, if they can get to a spot now where like Vic gets healthy, Odie continues to play well, and you can kind of split those guys 20 minutes a game, I really think you can get the most out of them. Um, and so that's something to look for, you know, here, obviously only one regular season game left, but if both of them can kind of get rolling in the conference tournament, it, that, that could be a big help for Cincinnati. You know, I'm not for sure where, uh, what sort of access you had or where you were uh, at the game uh, yesterday. Uh if you were anywhere close to the Bearcats bench, what was what was the reaction specifically? What was Coach Miller's reaction after after that goaltending call on Odie? 
Yeah, so that's part of the reason it's great, you know, and I'll miss going to Memphis is uh, best media seating um, that I've been to, uh, certainly in the conference, maybe even in the country. You know, I was sitting right, literally right behind the um, the Bearcats bench. I could have reached out the second row of assistants and, um, and and smacked him in the head. I joked with one of the assistants that they want me to draw something up on the, the whiteboard during the game. I was happy to do so. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, you know, Certainly a lot of um, uh, upset uh, outrage to the Odeo Guama call. And it was kind of in that like breakneck end of the game situation anyway. So tensions were already high. Um, I never got a good look at the replay. It looked like a clean block to me sitting there live was on the other end of the floor. Um, But yeah, Wes was certainly unhappy with it, but so were all the assistants that jumped up. So I don't even know that I got a good look at at Wes because he was kind of uh, overshadowed by, by some of the assistants who were not happy with that call. Yeah. Things got a little lively in my household at that call, so I can't blame them. Uh, so sort of taking a, a larger view of the season, now, you know, like you said, we have one game left, SMU at home, like a very very winnable should be a, a win for the Bearcats before we move on to the conference tournament. And, you know, the way this team has is, is played all season – you know, it's, I don't know. I, the last time I checked, it was highly likely that we'd play Temple again. That's a rubber match. Where it's a, they're a team that could win one game in the conference tournament. They could lose their the first game, or they could be playing on on Sunday. Uh, I don't know. We don't know who we're going who we're going to get. So, with that being said, what is a fair way to judge if this season was successful or not? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I think it'll probably depend on how the next you know, a couple weeks go. Um, I would have to think, you know, unless they just would blow, you know, the, the SMU game and then maybe the first game of the tournament, you know, if they don't do that, I think they're in line to get an NIT invite. Um, you know, going into the season, a lot of what I wrote and probably what a lot of people were talking about was like, can this team get into the NCAA tournament? Does it have enough in this last season in the AAC to, you know, finish behind Houston uh, and get an at-large bid? And I remember writing, like, I don't think it's fair to put that as an expectation on this team. Like, they need to get the NCAA tournament. But, you know, ceiling, I think, like, if things would have gone as good as possible, that's what you were looking at with this team. Certainly that hasn't been the case, whether it's injuries or inconsistency, blowing some games they should have won. They're not going to make the tournament unless they have some miracle run in in Fort Worth, uh, which, like you referenced, not outside the realm of possibility. We've seen it in spurts. Um, I don't know that we've seen it for three straight games with this team. But so so then that leaves the question is like, all right, well, you know, is it positive? Was it it a success? I think a lot of the – you know, maybe hopes of getting to a tournament or even just disappointment with the way this year has played out is because people know what's coming next, right? Like it's, it's not going to get easier next year. Um, This team could get a lot better next season and it could look a lot worse in terms of win loss and and things like that, just because you're going in the big 12. The thing for me is they need to be more consistent. uh, And, and I think, they kind of hit this checkpoint where, all right, for the most part, they've they've won the games they should have. Then you had it kind of felt like they were regressing with, you know, maybe the Tulane game, definitely that that ECU game. Um, 
but then it became a thing like, all right, so that they're, they're playing better, whether it's eye test metrics, but then they're in these kind of late game situations and, and they don't have that like winning DNA. Uh, you know, why can't this team kind of figure out how to close out games and win games? And on one level it is strange because, you know, this isn't a young team. They, they got a lot of, yeah. you know, well tenured uh, experienced basketball players. Maybe they haven't played together for a long time, but these are not guys, you know, who are like freshmen or, um, you know, haven't been in big situations. A lot of think- starts under their belt. Yeah, exactly. And I think you would have liked to have seen that come through in, you know, the Tulane game, uh, in the ECU game, maybe even that Houston game on the road where they play so well and then, you know, kind of lose it at the end. Uh, That feels like now the next step for this team. You know, one thing is winning some games against better, more talented teams. They really haven't done that. The the UCF game at home um, was, was maybe the best example of, you know, uh, or I guess on the, you know, getting the, the quad win uh, one win on the road. Like they, they fought, they battled, they got the win, but I don't know how much, I don't know that I'd say UCF is like a remarkably better team, certainly not in conference play. They haven't been. So they didn't really get that win over Houston or Memphis or, you know, Xavier, Arizona, whoever in non-conference play, that's the next hurdle. And then the other one is just like, yeah, you know, find a way to finish games. Don't blow seven point leads with two minutes left. Don't blow 16 point leads with nine minutes left. Uh, And as frustrating as as that was this year, that feels like kind of the next step. And so, uh, you would have liked to have seen that maybe get a little bit closer to that this year uh, as we're getting towards the end of the season. Um, but I think in a general sense, it's better than last year. They've made progress. They've made some developments. It's just going to be tough to gauge. Was this season success and will next year be a success because of the the level of competition that, that they're going up against? But I do think if you are, you do step back and kind of look at it. They're moving in the right direction what that looks like next year, I think is going to be the question. And it's, it's going to be what um, I think a lot of fans kind of struggle with or, or wrestle with too. I think you bring up a lot of good points there. It's this team can get significantly better next year, but that doesn't, that's not going to necessarily translate to wins and losses. I'm going to highlight that and make sure I revisit that thought <laughs> next season. Uh, because I just listened to a, a podcast that I did last year on March 1st, where we're talking about the end of the season, my friend and I, he was a, a manager for the basketball team in Hugs' last season. So the, the episode was him telling some of the stories that he you know remembers from that season. But we were also talking about the most recent events of, of the basketball team uh, happening last season as well. You know, we, we went 0 for 5 in the last five games last season, sort of let the wheels fall off completely. Uh, you know, we got a chance to go, what, 3-2 and two here? to close things out if we can take care of business against SMU. I think there's been progress from one season to the next. It just might not as, as been as a large of a leap as Bearcats fans had wanted it to be. Yeah. And, and not as consistent, right? You know, that's the other thing it felt like, you know, and, and Wes Miller's talked about that. It feels like every time this team has kind of maybe turned a corner, made progress, you have the Tulane game or the ECU game, or even like, you know, UCF temple where it feels like it should be a, a easier win at the end. And it's not. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. You know, the, they, they didn't kind of fall apart here at the end of the season. The other thing, like they have a chance to win 20 games in the regular mm-hmm. season. And then, you, you know, you win one or two in the conference tournament. I, I think if you're asking fans like, you know, 20 to 22 wins or so for this year, a lot of fans would have been excited about that and jumped at that. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's almost like, like you said that there there's progress and moving in the right direction. There's just still a couple of those hurdles they need to, to hit beating better teams, more talented teams uh, and, and 
you know, doing so can playing consistently, being a little bit more consistent uh, that you, you wish they would have maybe got a little bit closer to this season. For sure. Well, I want to let's let's switch directions slightly here uh, because we've all season. Really, we've, we've seen flashes of Daniel Skillings, not so much Josh Reed, uh, but Wes's recruiting class coming in next year is last I looked, I, I've one site had him like ranked like sixth in the big 12 uh, top uh, 30, 35 nationally. Can you talk a little bit? Uh, what has been Wes's approach to recruiting, especially, you know, these guys that, you know, I, I feel like haven't even really looked Cincinnati's way in a long time. Yeah, he he's not shy about going after the the guys he wants, and that's in terms of fitting him his system, but but also in terms of talent. And you know, I know that was probably what a frustration for a lot of fans for a long time is, you know, they would have never even gone after a, a guy like Isaiah Collier, or or maybe even someone like you know Jizzle James or, or something like that. Um, now sometimes that means you're going to miss, and and it's going to you know feel like you have spent a lot of time or, or waste a lot of time on somebody you didn't get. But you can't have it both ways. Like if you're going to go after those types of players, four and five star game changing type uh, players, you're, you're going to miss on a couple because of the teams you're going up against. Um, but he, you know, I don't think that's going to change with him. Uh, the, it, I'll be kind of curious to see like the Isaiah Collier recruitment specifically. To, does that impact, you know, the types of players he goes after? I don't get that sense. I mean, I think everyone knows that they're recruiting Flory Badunga and sure they have some connections there, but like this is a guy who's, you know, in that same kind of top five, you know, prospect stratosphere in his class that, that uh, Isaiah Collier was. So it's always got to be someone that fits, um, you know, the system, the, the positional need that they have. Uh, but I don't think Wes Miller is going to be shy about going after maybe a little bit bigger fish than they have in the past. But then the other part is, yeah, like, you know, I think he's he's building towards his preferred roster, and you can see that in guys like um, Dan Skillings and Josh Reed and and Landers Nolly. I, I do think you know Rob Finnessy they would have loved to brought in like a dynamic scoring guard or, or a bigger guard. But the one thing that they brought Robin to do was guard and, you know, injuries have kind of prevented him from really having an impact this season. But, but you could see like, all right, maybe that wasn't the the pie in the sky. I hope they had it at point guard, but it makes sense why he would have fit into this roster. And, you know, it hasn't always been perfect. Like I, I give a lot of credit for the way Kalua Zekpe has kind of battled back and gotten in the rotation this year, but he wasn't the piece that they were hoping to add in the front court in the off season. I think that's hurt him a lot. Um, and you can, you know, look at some of the guys, he was obviously piecing together this, this team last year as best he could, but Jared Hensley hasn't totally worked out. AJ McGinnis, a guy they brought in last year, obviously didn't, didn't work out. So, you know, especially when you're trying to rebuild a roster, you might have some, some misses or some things that aren't perfect fits, but it's the same way with, you know, Jizzle James and, and Day Day Thomas coming in next year. Like it's, it's pretty clear. He felt like we needed some downhill guards, uh, some guys who are going to, you know, get up and be able to guard full court, you know, how that looks on the court obviously remains to be seen, especially with talking Jizzle James as an incoming high school freshman uh, or in, incoming high school player will be a freshman, but you're starting to see the types of, of players that Wes Miller wants and, and kind of how that would fit the system that he wants to have uh, aggressive downhill guards, length and athleticism, you know, positional versatility on the perimeter. Um, and then I do think, you know, let's see what he wants to do on the inside because everyone wants a Flory Badunga type player. Um, yeah. But like, you know, do they go more towards the, Victor Locken, you know, maybe, you know, 
I use finesse player as as a compliment, you know, or or maybe kind of that more uh, athletic, um, high flying, you know, forward like Odio Guama can be, or or is it both of them? And you try and piece them together. So uh, I feel like the you know post presence is kind of an interesting thing to see where does West go moving forward in that area. Uh, but I think you can start to see kind of what he wants to do building this team uh, moving forward in terms of the types of players and the level of talent. Good stuff, Justin. I really just got one question left here for you, completely unrelated to uh, to basketball. Actually, uh, football driven question here. Uh, I just you know I just saw that the the spring practices start soon. The spring games uh, April fifteenth. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think you actually just wrote a, a piece about this. I've not gotten to to read it yet, actually. But so question is like you know how is Satterfield settling in? And what can you tell us about Brad Glenn? <laughs> well, uh, Brad Glenn, I think, has been on campus less than a week. Um, so I can't speak too much to him in terms of immediate. What I can say about, I guess I'll start with Brad Glenn, is this is a guy who understands Scott Satterfield's system. Um, you know, he kind of came up as an offensive mind under Satterfield. They worked together at Appalachian State. I know, you know, in terms of philosophy and kind of the way they operate, that that Brad Glenn took a lot from from Scott Satterfield. So especially when you're hiring somebody in a pinch on short notice uh, and an offensive coordinator who, let's be honest, is not going to be the, you know, the primary play caller because that's what Sat does. Brad Glenn makes a ton of sense as someone with experience who understands the system, who understands Sat's offense. Um and is probably going to be okay not being that that primary play caller coming in. So so that front made a lot of sense as an offensive coordinator for Satterfield. Yeah, you know I think he's settling in well. I don't think he wanted to replace three assistants in the the past you know week and a half or so. But you know we're, we're seeing that uh, you know all across uh, the country with kind of that lagging coaching carousel with, with the NFL hiring cycle. Uh, Notre Dame just hired another Virginia Tech assistant. So that's another one that Virginia Tech has to replace here really late in the cycle. Uh, but I, I think Sad is, is settling in well. I'm really interested to see he's very different than Fickle from a personality standpoint. Obviously, like Fickle is a defensive guy. Satterfield's more of an offensive guy. But just kind of mentality, attitude, um, vibe, they're very different. Um, and, and so I'm curious to see how that looks, you know, in spring ball for a program that hasn't had something different in, in six years, uh, how it meshes with you know, there's still a big chunk of this roster that was recruited under Luke Fickle. And then there's obviously a, a not insignificant portion that was brought in by Satterfield through the transfer portal and all that. How do those kind of two pieces mesh together? And what does this team look like on the field, both in terms of how they're lining up and, and things like that, but also just how they respond to a totally new regime here at Cincinnati. So I think we'll have a much better sense of that as we get through spring ball. And then with, you know, the way the new transfer portal windows are, I, I think you're going to see probably some comings and goings both ways uh, when that May transfer portal opens for, for Cincinnati. So I don't think we necessarily have a, a sense of what the final roster will look like heading into, into fall, but uh, should be plenty to, to write and talk about for a, a program that has had a lot of, stability the past six seasons and, and benefited from it i'm curious to see how they respond with a, a lot of change this year yeah i know i know my, my uh ticket guy daniel has, has already called me about renewing my season tickets we have a hell of a lineup coming to nippert uh and i'm, I'm excited to uh to make my way back into the historic stadium this fall so uh, i gotta give daniel a call back so i can make sure i don't miss out on those so if he's called you and you're listening call him back keep him busy because uh we're going to need all the help we can get as, as we move into the big 12 i know i'm certainly excited for it 
Justin, great stuff as always. Uh, I was thinking, I was like, I know I had talked to you since you'd come on the podcast. And I remembered uh, I had uh, introduced myself to uh, the uh, TBT. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. uh, Unfortunately, brief run in the TBT. uh, Yes. uh, As CentOS. Uh, Someone misfiled something and they gave me a media pass. So I had fun with that. So I was down (laughs) on the court just trying to mind my own business looking like I belonged. Uh, And and I saw you. So I I made sure I introduced myself. Uh, I will not wait so long next time before you uh, before having you back on. Uh, Good stuff as always. Again, it's at Williams underscore Justin on Twitter. All of the the great pieces on the Bearcats are at uh, the on the athletic dot com. Uh, I know as, as basketball winds down, are you uh, are you going to shift into covering any any of the spring sports or or how what does that look like uh, for you and your workload? Yeah, honestly, it'll it'll probably be a lot of you know football, um, spring football, and and you know kind of the the way that the transfer portal will start hitting in may and you know there's going to be as we saw the past couple off seasons there's always plenty of roster movement in basketball too so i think there'll be plenty there to 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 keep us busy awesome good stuff justin i appreciate it man definitely thanks brandon sure great stuff there from justin williams as always the man knows the stuff cover does a great job covering the bearcats be sure to find him on Twitter and uh, theathletic.com. One game left against SMU. Very winnable. Should be penciled in as a win before the Bearcats move on to the American Athletic Conference tournament. We'll see what happens there. As far as spring sports, I, I do want to do, like I think I said this last year, but it, it just never panned out. I do want to do a better job covering some other sports for uh for the bearcats and uh bearcats baseball there there's a, a lot of uh, social media attention thrown their way uh, so of course with the reds being going to be absolutely atrocious again uh i highly encourage everyone to uh to go watch the bearcats baseball team probably a better brand of baseball and when you got to wonder where you where you're going to go go to Clifton. Uh, the Bearcats were in Gainesville, taking on the Florida Gators this past weekend. They did get swept, uh, but it looked like they, they brought the bats out uh, by the end of it, though, scoring seven in, in the last game. Uh, unfortunately, like I said, they were swept. Florida's a very good team. I, I, they are ranked nationally mm, top five, I believe, maybe number two, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, but they are home this Wednesday, March 1st, against Miami, Ohio. Tickets are only $5.00. Uh, it's going to be in the low to mid-70s. It's going to be a gorgeous day in the Queen City. Nice day to catch some baseball. Uh, other than that, we have men's golf. This is going to be kind of my my focus here on the spring. One, because I have a budding obsession with golf. Uh, this is only my third summer golfing in my entire life. Uh, I am not good. I'm terrible, matter of fact. Uh, but... I am on the, the golf journey. So watching and learning more about the sport as I go is sort of a part of that for me, I guess. Uh, the men's Bearcats golf team, they are not terrible. They are quite the opposite. They are really good. Uh, they are at uh, Dorado Beach Collegiate this, this past weekend. Uh, as I sit here, they've only played two rounds. The first round, uh, the Bearcats were 
13 under, two shots behind UNCG for first place. Uh, in that first round, Ryan Ford, he's a freshman. Uh, he shot seven under. That was good enough for first place. Uh, all six Bearcats were at least uh, two under and sitting uh, in in the top 17. The second round, more of the same stuff. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, sitting at 32 under as a team. First place. Duke, uh, their team, though, shot, had an incredible day. Uh, they are right on their heels at 28 under. UNCG in third right now, 12 strokes back. Ryan Ford tied for first. He's 11 under after two days. Uh, and then Ryan Gingrich uh, is in fifth right now at, at nine under. So they are crushing it down in Puerto Rico, where's that, where that tournament is. Uh, just to emphasize that a little bit more, Ryan Ford that I was telling you about, the front nine in round one, he was one stroke off. No, I'm sorry. In the front nine, he was shooting shooting a 30, finished it at, at seven under. For the first round, he was one stroke away from a school record. Uh, I think he was he shot like a 65 or something. Just unbelievable. One more day left of that. Hopefully, the, the Bearcats can hold on down there and fight off Duke. Uh, I know. The Bearcats, I think, are, are ranked somewhere in the 30s, 39th, according to some, 32nd, according to others. Uh, Duke is up there. Auburn, who is, is in the tournament, I believe they're second in the country. So the Bearcats are, are showing out. Hopefully they can hold on and take that lead or keep that lead, I should say, win the tournament. Nice uh, momentum jump to, to start spring golf for them. Other than that, that's all I got for you this week. Thanks again to Justin Williams for coming on. We'll see what the basketball Bearcats can do this weekend, as well as the spring sports too. I'll leave you as always. Cheers and go Bearcats.